0: Chapter Two of My Lady Ludlow by Elizabeth Gaskell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rosie. My Lady Ludlow by Elizabeth Gaskell. Chapter Two. Before I tell you about Mr. Gray, I think I ought to make you understand something more of what we did all day long at Hanbury Court. There were five of us at the time of which I am speaking all young women of good descent and allied however distantly to people of rank when we were not with my lady mrs medlicott looked after us a gentle little woman who had been companion to my lady for many years and was indeed i have been told some kind of relation to her mrs medlicott's parents had lived in germany and the consequence was she spoke english with a very foreign accent Another consequence was that she excelled in all manner of needlework, such as is not known even by name in these days. She could darn either lace, table-linen, India muslin, or stockings, so that no one could tell where the hole or rent had been. Though a good Protestant, and never-missing Guy Fawkes Day at church, she was as skillful at fine work as any nun in a papist convent. She would take a piece of French cambric, and by drawing out some threads and working in others, it became delicate lace in a very few hours. She did the same by holland's cloth, and made coarse, strong lace, with which all my lady's napkins and table linen were trimmed. We worked under her during a great part of the day, either in the still-room or at our sewing in a chamber that opened out of the great hall. My lady despised every kind of work that would now be called fancy-work, She considered that the use of colored threads, or worsted, was only fit to amuse children, but that grown women ought not to be taken with mere blues and reds, but to restrict their pleasure in sewing to making small and delicate stitches. She would speak of the old tapestry in the hall as the work of her ancestresses, who lived before the Reformation, and were consequently unacquainted with pure and simple tastes in work, as well as in religion nor would my lady sanction the fashion of the day, which, at the beginning of this century, made all the fine ladies take to making shoes. She said that such work was a consequence of the French Revolution, which had done much to annihilate all distinctions of rank and class, and hence it was, that she saw young ladies of birth and breeding, handling lasts and awls and dirty cobbler's wax, like shoemakers' daughters." Very frequently, one of us would be summoned to my lady to read aloud to her, as she sat in her small withdrawing room, some improving book. It was generally Mr. Addison's spectator, but one year, I remember, we had to read Sturm's Reflections, translated from a German book Mrs. Medlicott recommended. Mr. Sturm told us what to think about for every day in the year, and very dull it was. But I believe Queen Charlotte had liked the book very much, and the thought of her royal approbation kept my lady awake during the reading mrs chapone's letters and dr gregory's advice to young ladies composed the rest of our library for week-day reading i for one was glad to leave my fine sewing and even my reading aloud though this last did keep me with my dear lady to go to the still-room and potter about among the preserves and the medicated waters there was no doctor for many miles round and with mrs medlicott to direct us and dr bouchon to go by for recipes we sent out many a bottle of physic which i dare say was as good as what comes out of the druggist's shop at any rate i do not think we did much harm for if any of our physics tasted stronger than usual mrs medlicott would bid us let it down with cochineal and water to make all safe as she said so our bottles of medicine had very little real physic in them at last but we were careful in putting labels on them which looked very mysterious to those who could not read and helped the medicine to do its work I have sent off many a bottle of salt and water colored red, and whenever we had nothing else to do in the still room, Mrs. Medlicott would set us to make bread pills by way of practice, and, as far as I can say, they were very efficacious. As before we gave out a box, Mrs. Medlicott always told the patient what symptoms to expect, and I hardly ever inquired without hearing that they had produced their effect. There was one old man who took six pills a night, of any kind we liked to give him, to make him sleep. And if, by any chance, his daughter had forgotten to let us know that he was out of his medicine, he was so restless and miserable that, as he said, he thought he was like to die. I think ours was what would be called homeopathic practice nowadays. Then we learnt to make all the cakes and dishes of the season in the still-room. We had plum porridge and mince pies at Christmas, fritters and pancakes on Shrove Tuesday, fermenti on Mothering Sunday, violet cakes in Passion Week, tansy pudding on easter sunday three-cornered cakes on trinity sunday and so on through the year all made from good old church receipts handed down from one of my lady's earliest protestant ancestresses every one of us passed a portion of the day with lady ludlow and now and then we rode out with her in her coach and four she did not like to go out with a pair of horses considering this rather beneath her rank and indeed four horses were very often needed to pull her heavy coach through the stiff mud but it was rather a cumbersome equipage through the narrow warwickshire lanes and i used often to think it was well that countesses were not plentiful or else we might have met another lady of quality in another coach-and-four where there would have been no possibility of turning or passing each other and very little chance of backing once when the idea of this danger of meeting another countess in a narrow deep-rutted lane was very prominent in my mind i ventured to ask mrs medlicott what would have to be done on such an occasion and she told me that de latest creation must back for sure which puzzled me a good deal at the time although i understand it now i began to find out the use of the peerage a book which had seemed to me rather dull before but as i was always a coward in a coach i made myself well acquainted with the dates of creation of our three warwickshire earls and was happy to find that earl ludlow ranked second the oldest earl being a hunting widower and not likely to drive out in a carriage all this time i have wandered from mr gray of course we first saw him in church when he read himself in he was very red-faced the kind of redness which goes with light hair and a blushing complexion he looked slight and short and his bright light frizzy hair had hardly a dash of powder in it i remember my lady making this observation and sighing over it for though since the famine in seventeen hundred and ninety-nine and eighteen hundred there had been attacks on hair powder yet it was reckoned very revolutionary and jacobin not to wear a good deal of it my lady hardly liked the opinions of any man who wore his own hair but this she would say was rather a prejudice only in her youth none but the mob had gone wigless and she could not get over the association of wigs with birth and breeding, a man's own hair with that class of people who had formed the rioters in 1780 when Lord George Gordon had been one of the bugbears of my lady's life. Her husband and his brothers, she told us, had been put into breeches and had their heads shaved on their seventh birthday, each of them, a handsome little wig of the newest fashion forming the old lady Ludlow's invariable birthday present to her sons as they each arrived at that age and afterwards, to the day of their death, they never saw their own hair. To be without powder, as some underbred people were talking of being now, was in fact to insult the proprieties of life by being undressed. It was English sans colletism. But Mr. Gray did wear a little powder, enough to save him in my lady's good opinion, but not enough to make her approve of him decidedly. The next time I saw him was in the great hall, Mary Mason and I were going to drive out with my lady in her coach, and when we went downstairs with our best hats and cloaks on, we found Mr. Gray awaiting my lady's coming. I believe he had paid his respects to her before, but we had never seen him, and he had declined her invitation to spend Sunday evening at the court, as Mr. Mountford used to do pretty regularly, and play a game at Piquet, too, which Mrs. Medlicott told us had caused my lady to be not over well pleased with him." he blushed redder than ever at the sight of us as we entered the hall and dropped him our curtsies he coughed two or three times as if he would have liked to speak to us if he could but have found something to say and every time he coughed he became hotter looking than ever i am ashamed to say we were nearly laughing at him half because we too were so shy that we understood what his awkwardness meant my lady came in with her quick active step she always walked quickly when she did not bethink herself of her cane As if she was sorry to have kept us waiting, and as she entered, she gave us all round one of those graceful, sweeping curtsies of which I think the art must have died out with her, it implied so much courtesy. This time, it said, as well as words could do, I am sorry to have kept you all waiting, forgive me. She went up to the mantelpiece, near which Mr. Grey had been standing until her entrance, and curtsying afresh to him, and pretty deeply this time, because of his cloth, and her being hostess, and he a new guest she asked him if he would not prefer speaking to her in her own private parlour and looked as though she would have conducted him there but he burst out with his errand of which he was full even to choking and which sent the glistening tears into his large blue eyes which stood farther and farther out with his excitement my lady i want to speak to you and to persuade you to exert your kind interest with mr latham justice latham of hathaway manor harry latham inquired my lady as mr grey stopped to take the breath he had lost in his hurry i did not know he was in the commission he is only just appointed he took the oaths not a month ago more's the pity i do not understand why you should regret it the lathams have held hathaway since edward i and mr latham bears a good character although his temper is hasty my lady he has committed job gregson for stealing a fault of which he is as innocent as i and all the evidence goes to prove it now that the case is brought before the bench only the squires hang so together that they can't be brought to see justice and are all for sending job to jail out of compliment to mr latham saying it his first committal and it won't be civil to tell him there is no evidence against his man for god's sake my lady speak to the gentlemen they will attend to you while they only tell me to mind my own business now my lady was always inclined to stand by her order and the lathams of hathaway court were cousins to the hanburys besides it was rather a point of honour in those days to encourage a young magistrate by passing a pretty sharp sentence on his first committals and job gregson was the father of a girl who had lately been turned away from her place as scullery-maid for sauciness to mrs adams her ladyship's own maid and mr grey had not said a word of the reasons why he believed the man innocent for he was in such a hurry i believe he would have had my lady drive off to the henley court-house then and there so there seemed a good deal against the man and nothing but mr gray's bare word for him and my lady drew herself a little up and said mr gray i do not see what reason either you or i have to interfere mr harry latham is a sensible kind of young man well capable of ascertaining the truth without our help but more evidence has come out since broke in mr gray my lady went a little stiffer and spoke a little more coldly i suppose this additional evidence is before the justices men of good family and of honor and credit well known in the county they naturally feel that the opinion of one of themselves must have more weight than the words of a man like job gregson who bears a very indifferent character has been strongly suspected of poaching coming from no one knows where squatting on Herman's common which by the way is extra parochial i believe consequently you as a clergyman are not responsible for what goes on there and although impolitic there might be some truth in what the magistrates said in advising you to mind your own business said her ladyship smiling and they might be tempted to bid me mind mine if i interfered mr grey might they not he looked extremely uncomfortable, half angry. Once or twice he began to speak, but checked himself, as if his words would not have been wise or prudent. At last he said, "'It may seem presumptuous in me, a stranger of only a few weeks' standing, to set up my judgment as to men's character against that of residence.' Lady Ludlow gave a little bow of acquiescence, which was, I think, involuntary on her part, and which I don't think he perceived." but i am convinced that the man is innocent of this offence and besides the justices themselves allege this ridiculous custom of paying a compliment to a newly appointed magistrate as their only reason that unlucky word ridiculous it undid all the good his modest beginning had done him with my lady i knew as well as words could have told me that she was affronted at the expression being used by a man inferior in rank to those whose actions he applied it to and truly it was a great want of tact considering to whom he was speaking lady ludlow spoke very gently and slowly she always did so when she was annoyed it was a certain sign the meaning of which we had all learnt i think mr gray we will drop the subject. It is one on which we are not likely to agree. Mr. Grey's ruddy colour grew purple, and then faded away, and his face became pale. I think both my lady and he had forgotten our presence, and we were beginning to feel too awkward to wish to remind them of it, and yet we could not help watching and listening with the greatest interest. Mr. Gray drew himself up to his full height with an unconscious feeling of dignity little as was his stature and awkward and embarrassed as he had been only a few minutes before i remember thinking he looked almost as grand as my lady when he spoke your ladyship must remember that it may be my duty to speak to my parishioners on many subjects on which they do not agree with me i am not at liberty to be silent because they differ in opinion from me lady ludlow's great blue eyes dilated with surprise and, I do think, anger, at being thus spoken to. I am not sure whether it was very wise in Mr. Gray. He himself looked afraid of the consequences, but as if he was determined to bear them without flinching. For a minute there was silence. Then my lady replied, Mr. Gray, I respect your plain speaking, although I may wonder whether a young man of your age and position has any right to assume that he is a better judge than one with the experience which I have naturally gained at my time of life and in the station I hold if i madam as the clergyman of this parish am not to shrink from telling what i believe to be the truth to the poor and lowly no more am i to hold my peace in the presence of the rich and titled. mr grey's face showed that he was in that state of excitement which in a child would have ended in a good fit of crying he looked as if he had nerved himself up to doing and saying things which he disliked above everything and which nothing short of serious duty could have compelled him to do and say and at such times every minute circumstance which could add to pain comes vividly before one i saw that he became aware of our presence and that it added to his discomfiture my lady flushed up are you aware sir asked she that you have gone far astray from the original subject of conversation but as you talk of your parish allow me to remind you that harriman's common is beyond the bounds and that you are really not responsible for the characters and lives of the squatters on that unlucky piece of ground madam i see i have only done harm in speaking to you about the affair at all i beg your pardon and take my leave he bowed and looked very sad lady ludlow caught the expression of his face good morning she cried in rather a louder and quicker way than that in which she had been speaking remember job gregson is a notorious poacher and evil-doer and you really are not responsible for what goes on at harriman's common He was near the hall door, and said something, half to himself, which we heard being nearer to him, but my lady did not, although she saw that he spoke. "'What did he say?' she asked, in a somewhat hurried manner, as soon as the door was closed. "'I did not hear. We looked at each other, and then I spoke. He said, my lady, that, God help him, he was responsible for all the evil he did not strive to overcome.' my lady turned sharp round away from us and mary mason said afterwards she thought her ladyship was much vexed with both of us for having been present and with me for having repeated what mr grey had said but it was not our fault that we were in the hall and when my lady asked what mr grey had said i thought it right to tell her in a few minutes she bade us accompany her in her ride in the coach lady ludlow always sat forwards by herself and we girls backwards somehow this was a rule which we never thought of questioning it was true that riding backwards made some of us feel very uncomfortable and faint and to remedy this my lady always drove with both windows open which occasionally gave her the rheumatism but we always went in on the old way this day she did not pay any great attention to the road by which we were going and coachman took his own way we were very silent as my lady did not speak and looked very serious or else in general she made these rides very pleasant to those who were not qualmish with riding backwards by talking to us in a very agreeable manner and telling us of the different things which had happened to her at various places at paris and versailles where she had been in her youth at windsor and kew and weymouth where she had been with the queen when maid of honour and so on but this day she did not talk at all all at once she put her head out of the window john footman said she where are we surely this is Herman's common yes and please my lady said john footman and waited for further speech or orders my lady thought a while and then said she would have the steps put down and get out as soon as she was gone we looked at each other and then without a word began to gaze after her we saw her pick her dainty way in the little high-heeled shoes she always wore because they had been fashion in her youth among the yellow pools of stagnant water that had gathered in the clayey soil John Footman followed, stately, after, afraid, too, for all his stateliness, of splashing his pure white stockings. Suddenly my lady turned round and said something to him, and he returned to the carriage with a half-pleased, half-puzzled air. My lady went on to a cluster of rude mud-houses at the higher end of the common, cottages built, as they were occasionally at that day, of wattles and clay, and thatched with sods. As far as we could make out from dumb show, Lady Ludlow saw enough of the interiors of these places to make her hesitate before entering, or even speaking to any of the children who were playing about in the puddles. After a pause, she disappeared into one of the cottages. It seemed to us a long time before she came out, but I dare say it was not more than eight or ten minutes. She came back with her head hanging down, as if to choose her way, but we saw it was more in thought and bewilderment than for any such purpose she had not made up her mind where we should drive to when she got into the carriage again john footman stood bareheaded waiting for orders to hathaway my dears if you are tired or if you have anything to do for mrs medlicott i can drop you at barford corner and it is but a quarter of an hour's brisk walk home but luckily we could safely say that mrs medlicott did not want us and as we had whispered to each other as we sat alone in the coach that surely my lady must have gone to job gregson's we were far too anxious to know the end of it all to say that we were tired so we all set off to hathaway mr harry latham was a bachelor squire thirty or thirty-five years of age more at home in the field than in the drawing-room and with sporting men than with ladies my lady did not alight of course it was mr latham's place to wait upon her and she bade the butler who had a smack of the gamekeeper in him very unlike our own powdered venerable fine gentleman at hanbury tell his master with her compliments that she wished to speak to him you may think how pleased we were to find that we should hear all that was said though i think afterwards we were half sorry when we saw how our presence confused the squire who would have found it bad enough to answer my lady's questions even without two eager girls for audience pray mr latham began my lady something abruptly for her but she was very full of her subject what is this i hear about job gregson mr latham looked annoyed and vexed but dared not show it in his words i gave out a warrant against him my lady for theft that is all you are doubtless aware of his character a man who sets nets and springs and long cover and fishes wherever he takes a fancy it is but a short step from poaching to thieving that is quite true replied lady ludlow who had a horror of poaching for this very reason but i imagine you do not send a man to jail on account of his bad character rogues and vagabonds said mr latham a man may be sent to prison for being a vagabond for no specific act but for his general mode of life he had the better of her ladyship for one moment but then she answered but in this case the charge on which you committed him is for theft now his wife tells me he can prove he was some miles distant from holmwood where the robbery took place all that afternoon she says you had the evidence before you mr latham here interrupted my lady by saying in a somewhat sulky manner no such evidence was brought before me when i gave the warrant i am not answerable for the other magistrates decision when they had more evidence before them it was they who committed him to jail i am not responsible for that my lady did not often show signs of impatience but we knew she was feeling irritated by the little perpetual tapping of her high-heeled shoe against the bottom of the carriage about the same time we sitting backwards caught a glimpse of mr grey through the open door standing in the shadow of the hall doubtless lady ludlow's arrival had interrupted a conversation between mr latham and mr grey the latter must have heard every word of what she was saying but of this she was not aware and caught at mr latham's disclaimer of responsibility with pretty much the same argument which she had heard through our repetition that mr gray had used not two hours before and do you mean to say mr latham that you don't consider yourself responsible for all injustice or wrong-doing that you might have prevented and have not nay in this case the first germ of injustice was your own mistake i wish you had been with me a little while ago and seen the misery in that poor fellow's cottage she spoke lower and mr grey drew near in a sort of involuntary manner as if to hear all she was saying we saw him and doubtless mr Latham heard his footstep and knew who it was that was listening behind him and approving of every word that was said he grew yet more sullen in manner but still my lady was my lady and he dared not speak out before her as he would have done to mr grey lady ludlow however caught the look of stubbornness in his face and it roused her as i had never seen her roused i am sure you will not refuse sir to accept my bail i offer to bail the fellow out and to be responsible for his appearance at the sessions what say you to that mr latham the offence of theft is not bailable my lady not in ordinary cases i dare say but i imagine this is an extraordinary case the man is sent to prison out of compliment to you and against all evidence as far as i can learn he will have to rot in jail for two months and his wife and children to starve i lady ludlow offer to bail him out and pledge myself for his appearance at next quarter sessions it is against the law my lady ba 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 who makes laws such as i in the house of lords such as you in the house of commons we who make the laws in st stephen's may break the mere forms of them when we have right on our sides on our land and amongst our own people the lord lieutenant may take away my commission if he heard of it and a very good thing for the county harry latham and for you too if he did if you don't go on more wisely than you have begun a pretty set you and your brother magistrates are to administer justice through the land i always said a good despotism was the best form of government and i am twice as much in favour of it now i see what a quorum is my dears suddenly turning round to us If it would not tire you to walk home, I would beg Mr. Latham to take a seat in my coach, and we would drive to Henley jail and have the poor man out at once. A walk over the fields at this time of day is hardly fitting for young ladies to take alone, said Mr. Latham, anxious no doubt to escape from his tete-a-tete drive with my lady, and possibly not quite prepared to go to the illegal length of prompt measures which she had in contemplation. But Mr. Gray now stepped forward, too anxious for the release of the prisoner to allow any obstacle to intervene which he could do away with. To see Lady Ludlow's face when she first perceived whom she had had for auditor and spectator of her interview with Mr. Latham was as good as a play. She had been doing and saying the very things she had been so much annoyed at Mr. Grey's saying and proposing only an hour or two ago she had been setting down mr latham pretty smartly in the presence of the very man to whom she had spoken of that gentleman as so sensible and of such a standing in the county that it was presumption to question his doings but before mr grey had finished his offer of escorting us back to hanbury court my lady had recovered herself there was neither surprise nor displeasure in her manner as she answered i thank you mr grey i was not aware that you were here but i think i can understand on what errand you came and seeing you here, recalls me to a duty I owe Mr. Latham. Mr. Latham, I have spoken to you pretty plainly, forgetting, until I saw Mr. Gray, that only this very afternoon I differed from him on this very question, taking completely, at that time, the same view of the whole subject which you have done, thinking that the country would be well rid of such a man as Job Gregson, whether he had committed this theft or not. Mr. Gray and I did not part quite friends, she continued, bowing towards him. But it so happened that I saw Job Gregson's wife and home. I felt that Mr. Gray had been right and I had been wrong. So, with the famous inconsistency of my sex, I came hither to scold you, smiling towards Mr. Latham, who looked half-sulky yet, and did not relax a bit of his gravity at her smile, for holding the same opinions that I had done an hour before. Mr. Gray— again bowing towards him these young ladies will be very much obliged to you for your escort and so shall i mr latham may i beg of you to accompany me to henley mr grey bowed very low and went very red mr latham said something which we none of us heard but which was i think some remonstrance against the course he was as it were compelled to take lady ludlow however took no notice of his murmur but sat in an attitude of polite expectancy And as we turned off on our walk i saw mr latham getting into the coach with an air of a whipped hound i must say considering my lady's feeling i did not envy him his ride though i believe he was quite in the right as to the object of the ride being illegal our walk home was very dull we had no fears and would far rather have been without the awkward blushing young man into which mr grey had sunk at every stile he hesitated Sometimes he half got over it, thinking that he could assist us better in that way, then he would turn back unwilling to go before ladies. He had no ease of manner, as my lady once said of him, though on any occasion of duty he had an immense deal of dignity. End of chapter two recording by Rosy.